Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> now, dads, I have a message for you this morning. It's going to be a very revolutionary message in your life in a positive way if you apply it, but it is extremely radical. Now, it also applies to moms, also to grandparents, to siblings. It actually applies to employees or employers. It even applies if you're a dog owner. How many dog owners are in the house? All right, there's something for you this morning too. But I'll again warn you, it is extremely radical. So I wanna make a deal with you. I would like for you to please promise me that you will not judge me and make your final evaluation about this message until I finish it. Can we have that understanding? Is that good? Yeah, okay, thank you. So with that, let's get started. I wanna tell you about a man who's gonna retire as a mega multimillionaire at the age of 38. And the time comes for his retirement banquet and the rumor got out that he is going to reveal his secret for success. And so everyone was so excited to hear about this. And so the Fortune 500 company presidents flew their Learjets in and they were present. The big publishing houses flew in because they're all trying to get the contract for this man's book. It's certainly gonna be a New York Times bestseller. And then you have all the TV stations with their cameras there. And the night came and the banquet was amazing. The food was good. The dessert was even better than the meal. And finally it came time for them to roast this guy. And they had a comedian and some friends all roast him and everyone was laughing. And then it came his turn to take the podium. And being the kind man that he was, he spent a lot of time just thanking everyone. And finally, he said, I know that some of you don't really care about all of that. You have come to hear my secret for success, and I am going to give it now. Everyone sat up. They were so excited. The little cameras came out on the, the cell phones, and they were going live with them and holding them up. And the big LED lights came on on the big cameras in the back. And, and, and the publishers were like, okay, I don't care if this takes two hours. We're going to get this contract. And they were recording everything he had to say. People were so excited. So you can imagine how, I guess, confused they were when the man said only three simple one-syllable words. He said, my secret for success is this. And then some. That's it. He could tell that they were a bit confused, so he began to explain. When I was a little boy, I got a hold of this teaching that said, do whatever is expected of you and then some. And so I thought I'll give that a try. I was in the first grade. There were 30 students in the room, and we had to rotate the duty of cleaning the trash out of the room during recess. And it was my turn on that particular day. Everyone went to recess, and so I had to take the trash out. And when I came back, I put trash bags as liners back in the trash can. I'd seen my mom do it at home. And I also went, and I noticed my teacher's desk was messy, so I straightened it up. I took her apple, and I polished it, and I put a napkin under it. And, and then I went out, and I got to play at least a few minutes at recess. And when we came in, my teacher actually said, someone has been messing with my desk, and I thought I was in trouble. Who did this? And I timidly raised my hand. She said, come up here. So I, I go up and she puts her arm around me and holds my shoulder. And, and she said, did you do this? I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, in all the years I've been teaching, I have never had a student to not only take out the trash, but to line the trash cans with new bags and clean my desk. 
And she had a tear actually coming out of one of her eyes and she hugged me really big in front of the whole class. And I'm thinking, this really works. So I did it at home that afternoon. My mom had asked me to clean up my room. And I decided not only would I clean up my room, but I would also help her put the dishes in the dishwasher after supper. And my mom cried and hugged me like three times. And I'm thinking, this really works. Do whatever is expected of you. Say it with me. And then some. By the time I was in the fifth grade, they, they made me a school crossing guard. Usually it takes a sixth grader to get that position. And when I was in junior high, I was playing basketball, and I wasn't really all that great. I did get to play, but I remember in the semifinals of the district tournament, we had about five seconds left in the game. We were one point down. I got fouled. I was at the free throw line. All I had to do was make my first free throw the tie, the second one to win. I missed the first free throw. My coach told me, it might be a good idea for you to stay after practice. Maybe shoot an extra 10 or 20 free throws every day. So guess what I did? I stayed after practice and I shot how many? 50. Everybody always says that. 50. And the next year, when we were in that same tournament, this time we were in the finals, and we had about 10 seconds left in the game, and I got fouled. And I remember walking to the free throw line, I double bounced the ball, I rolled it twice, I put my finger right where I wanted in the center of the ball so I could make that perfect gooseneck, and I shot, and I swished the basket and tied the game. Now I'm shooting to win, and later I was told people were waving coats underneath the basket, and I didn't even see it. Second shot, we won the game. It's the only time in my athletic career I was carried out on my team's shoulders. That year in the sports banquet, I got a little trophy and it said best free throw percentage shooter, 87.3%. That philosophy really played well for me in my sports career. Also in my studies, because in high school, I applied it to everything I did and ended up graduating valedictorian of the class. I got to my pick of the best colleges and I went to this particular business college and it was there that I also applied it to my studies and also to my extracurricular activities. I'm gonna do whatever's expected of me, say it with me, and then some. And I became the president of the student body and I put together a student council that we would do whatever the student body expected of us and then some. And during spring break, instead of going down to, to Florida and wasting our money and not doing good things, we actually went to Appalachia with Habitat for Humanity and we built some houses. We didn't seek news, but we were actually covered on one of the major news channels. And then other colleges began to see what we were doing and they started doing that during their spring breaks. And it was pretty neat to see the domino effect from this philosophy for living. As I was applying it to my grades in college, I ended up my senior year clipping out or whatever they call it of those final exams. I had all A's and so I had a week at school with nothing to do while all my friends were having to take tests. I went to this particular professor that I really admired and I said, sir, is there any research project that you've never been able to do because you simply haven't had time? And he said, well, by the way, there is. And so I went to the library. Now this was back during the day when they had Dewey Decibel systems. Does anyone remember the Dewey Decibel systems? It sounds like a guy on a hee-haw, Dewey Decibel. But anyway, you go in and you pull these drawers out and you have to look at these cards and that's how you find where books are. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers back then. It was really difficult to study uh, in the same way that we do now. Now you just Wikipedia, man, you got it just like that. Well, he's in there and he's doing all this research. And as he said it, you know, I went back to that professor on Friday. I knocked on his door. I, I walked in and, and I said, here you go. And I handed him a one inch thick file folder with all of that information I had gleaned and copied on the copy machine in the library. He took one look at it and shot up like a cattle prod had hit him, came around the desk and shook my hand with both of his. 
And he said, I have never had a student do anything like this for me. This is amazing. I will give you the best endorsement. And I said, sir, I didn't do this for your endorsement. I just hope that this will get you started on that book that I hope someday you'll write because you're really an amazing teacher. And a tear welled up in his eye and he, he thanked me again. I was the magna cum laude graduate, at least one of them, of that college. I think I got that right. It's magna cum laude. What's next? Summa? Summa cum laude? Cum laude? Me? Praise the Lord. I was glad to get out of that place. But anyway, he was magna cum laude, top of the class. And, and as he told the story, he said, you know, I got a, a pick of like five of the major Fortune 500 companies that were offering me a job. And I picked this particular one that I was really impressed with. And I remember that first day at work, they took me into the board of executives room and there's all this, this board of directors in there. And wow, I was like amazed. One of them that had written a, a textbook I'd studied at college and, and they were giving me their expectations. They were saying that you have three weeks of vacation, you get an hour lunch break, you have to be at work at nine in the morning, you leave at five in the afternoon, you've got two secretaries, here's your budget, here's what we want you to do. And all the while, guess what I'm thinking? I'm gonna do whatever this board of directors expects of me and then some, and that's what I begin to do. Now, you're not gonna be surprised when I tell you that he began to excel a lot more quickly than others at that company that had been there even longer than him. And you know what he did? He would actually come to work around 8.30 in the morning instead of 9. He'd stay till about 5.30. He was very careful not to be a workaholic. But at the same time, he wanted to give a little bit more than what they expected of him. And at lunchtime, he didn't really want to waste money going out to eat every day and time as well. He would bring his lunch, eat in 20 minutes. He took 20 minutes to study his Bible during the middle of the day. And guess what? He had 20 minutes left. You know what he did with it? He went to his two secretaries. Is there anything I can help you with? I've got about 20 minutes. They loved him. They worked harder for him than any boss they'd ever worked for in their life. So you're not going to be surprised when I tell you that at the age of 30, this man became the youngest Fortune 500 company president in the history of the United States business world. Now, during that tenure of time, he had also begun to, to coach Little League Baseball he had found this lady and fallen in love with her and they got married. And you know what he decided to do in that marriage? He decided to live by the same principle. I'm gonna do whatever my wife expects of me. Do I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> oh, come on, you can do better than that. Yeah, there you go. And he also had some kids, a little boy and a little girl. And he decided if I'm gonna be the best dad that I can possibly be, then I'm just gonna live by this principle of, of, of this philosophy for living. I'm gonna be and do whatever my kids expect of me and then some. Man, he was a great dad. His kids loved him, his wife loved him, the community loved him. He was successful in all that he did and he led that company into the best years that they'd had in over three decades. But around the age of 34, he came to them and he called the board together and he said, I am very reluctant to do this, but I'm tendering my resignation. And he said, please understand, I'm not unhappy. I am so thrilled that I've had the opportunity to work with you for all of these years and that you've actually allowed me to lead. But if I don't do this now, I'm afraid I never will. I have a dream that I want to pursue. They tried to talk him out of it, but he was convinced and he resigned and he started a retail business. And he hired college students to help run that one store and he said, what we're going to do is we're going to do whatever the customer expects of us and then some. And that store was successful. And he opened a second store. And then he jumped out of state, went national, jumped international. And within four years, he was able to sell it for an amazing amount of money. And now he's retiring as a mega multimillionaire.
Now, having explained his story, he then asked his audience, are you wondering where I got this bit of wisdom for living? Maybe you think I got it in a fortune cookie or went to China and found some ancient wisdom. Or maybe you think I listened to that dude named Tony Robbins on TV or read some Norman Vincent Peale book, but that's not where I got it. And with that, he reached down under the podium and guess what he pulled out? A Bible. And he said, I actually found this philosophy for living in the very first book of the New Testament. It's a book called Matthew. And within that book, there are three chapters, chapters five through seven, that contain the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And within that, he says these words, Matthew 5, 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In other words, do whatever is expected of you. Now you finish it. There you go. I told you that was radical, didn't I? Now you're ready to kick me out of here right now. It's so radical, aren't you? Don't you ever come back up here to Wisconsin. You know, no, that's not radical. Why in the world would you think it's radical? Well, I mean, you know, after all, it's easy to pull the car over. Hop in, I'll take you another mile. No big deal at all. Won't take long, especially the way I drive. Ten seconds. <laughs> My kids, if they're watching, are really laughing at that. So let me explain what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to go to Israel right now. We're going to get in a time machine. We're going to set the lever on the first century when Jesus was alive. And we're going to land on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to get out. And what we're going to find is this. The Romans had occupied the land. They had taken over. They'd been in there for over a century. And the Jews hated that occupation. And the Romans would build an archway. We have one still existing in Rome. It's called the Arch of Titus. And you, the Jewish citizen, would be forced to march through that archway. And it would bind you under the yoke of Rome. You know what the Jews called it? The yoke of oppression. And they could not wait until they got a Messiah that would come and raise an army and kick Rome out of their land. So that's the setting in which Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is teaching, all of a sudden, I think most likely, we hear this happening. And here's why. There's a road that connects Asia to Africa. It's the biggest road on earth at that time. And it came down through Capernaum across right there on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, which is Lake Nazareth. It would go down by Tiberias, down and past Jerusalem, and all the way down into Egypt. And that was the major road on which the Roman army moved their forces. So as Jesus is teaching there on that hillside, just a couple of hundred yards from that road, all of a sudden, the people can't hear him anymore because guess who's marching by? Here comes the centurion and all of his soldiers. Can you imagine that brave heart scene that was going on between the Jews and the Romans? Wow, I bet there were some gestures and some words that were flying on that day. And finally, you know, as the Romans are snarling and the Jews are spitting in their direction, they finally get past and Jesus says, by the way, if that Roman official right there on business comes along and forces you to go one mile, now, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Here's why. Because when you went through that arch of Titus, guess what it bound you to? The law mile. You know what that was? Any Roman on official business could stop you in the middle of your wedding, your work, you're catching a big bass, whatever. You have to stop what you're doing and carry their bag one mile. And the Jews hated that so badly. Do you know what they did? They would take a peg, put their name on it. They would literally start at either their workplace or their house, usually both. And they would step 5,280 feet 
and drive their peg on the side of the path or the road so that when they came to their peg, they would not have to take one step past that stinking law mile. Are you getting it now? And Jesus says, when that Roman centurion right there leading that group of guys comes along and says to you that you've got to carry his bag one mile, don't just go one mile. Go with him. What? Say it with me. Two miles? Can you imagine the reaction of the people there that day? Did you know, I, I, I really personally believe that was the day that Jesus began to lose his rock star status. That was the day many people left him. The Bible says many people quit following him. I think that's the statement that caused that to happen. Think about that Jewish man that hears that as he's standing there in the audience and, and his jaw drops open and he's digging the wax out of his ears. Did you say what I just think you said? Those are traitor words. Those are Roman sympathizer words. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. This is the guy that's at work one day with his, in his garden. He's got his hoe and and a Roman centurion comes along and sees him and says, hey, get over here, carry my bag. So he throws his hoe down and he picks up the bag and he half carries it, half drags it down the road and he's mumbling things under his breath that I can't repeat to you here. And finally, when he comes to his peg in the road, he throws that bag down and he points at that Roman's face. He says, let me tell you something. I'm never gonna forget your face. And someday when my people get out from underneath your stinking yoke of oppression, I'm gonna hunt you down. I'm gonna pay you back for what you've done to our people. He's Bits and he leaves, leaving that Roman thinking, yeah, you people are no good for nothing. You're just what I've heard you're like. <laughs> picks up his bag and goes off all mad. Now, this fella goes back. The Jewish man picks up his hoe and he's trying to work. Have you ever tried to accomplish work when you're just seething mad? You're not going to get it done, are you? And he breaks his hoe. He's going to have to get a new hoe. He's going to have to come back later to finish his work. Well, he goes home and he goes through his white picket fence and he's still just steaming and he slams that, breaks the, the hinge on his gate. Now he's got to go to Lowe's at Jerusalem and get a new hinge. He's got to fix his gate. And then his two kids, his little boy and his little girl, they're swinging on the swing set. <gasps> Daddy's home and they come running over there and he just kind of brushes them. I'm, I'm, I'm tired, I'm tired. Y'all just, just go play, I need to go in. And he doesn't spend any time with them and he goes in the house and he slams the screen door as he walks in. Now his wife's at the, in the kitchen and she's standing there at the, at the sink and she's washing lettuce, getting things ready. And she hears that and turns and sees him. Oh, you're home early today. Why do you always nag at me? You think I never work. You think I'm a lazy bum. No, no, no. Yes, you do. Now explain something to me if you're a pet owner. Where is that man's dog right now? It's okay. You can talk. You're not going to go to hell if you talk in church. Where is this dog at? Hiding under a table in the back room. Why? Because nobody, and especially dogs, nobody likes a one-miler. They are no fun to be around. They see everything as law. They see it as a got to, and that's their mentality. Got to do my homework. Got to do these extra free throws. Got to do this. Got to clean my room. Got to do How many times do you say got to? Be careful, because if you say a lot, guess what you are? You're a one-miler. You ain't no fun to be around. And you're not going to be very successful. 
Now let's go back to that Sermon on the Mount for just a second. Let's look at Jewish man number two whose jaw drops open. He's digging the wax out of his ears. Those sound like traitor words, but you're the Messiah. If you say it's true, I'll do it. And he's working in his garden one day and he's hoeing and here comes this, uh, this centurion. Hey, get over here, carry my bags. And he jumps over there and grabs that bag. And he says, man, I'm happy to carry your bag, sir. It's a beautiful day. And off he goes and he's whistling while he works. And that's super, anyway, he's going along and he, and, he, and he looks at that man. He stops for a second. He says, hey, do you smell that? And of course the Roman's like, well, smell what? Smell it, take a whip. And he's like, no way. No, I'm serious, smell it. Listen, ah, take a big whip. So the Roman cautiously is kind of what? He says, sir, it's the lily of the valley. It's the rose of Sharon. My God calls this land the land flowing with milk and honey. Of course, that centurion's thinking, drugs. I got a guy on crack. I would pick a Jew on crack. Well, on the, down the road he goes. You know, he's carrying the bag and he's, he's like, tell me about Rome. I've always wanted to go to Rome. What's it like? Well, what would a centurion rather talk about than his home city of Rome? And he tells him about the gladiatorial combat and the bathhouses and all this cool stuff. And finally, he stops the man. He said, sir, I noticed we passed your peg on the road a good ways back. You've done your duty. I'll take my bag back. And the Jewish man says, oh, it's an honor to carry your bag. It's not that heavy. I need the exercise and I'm loving the company. Tell me more about Rome. And off he goes. And the Roman centurion tells him about Caesar's palace. He's been there, you know. And finally, he literally stops the Jewish man and pries the bag away and says, sir, you've gone a whole extra mile with me. I got to thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And the Jewish man said, sir, it is an honor to carry your bag. If you ever come through this area, I want you to find me. Please give me the privilege of carrying your bag for you. And you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. It's going to be very, very hard for you to understand this scene. But it did happen. As that Roman centurion took off a glove and extended this gnarled hand that had been in charge of many a crucifixion crew, even possibly that one, and he shook that Jewish man's hand. And a tear kind of welled up in an eye that he thought had long since been dry. And he told that Jewish man, you've changed your mind about how I feel about your people. Here's my card. If you ever get to Rome, I'll take a personal day off and I will give you a tour of the city. They parted their ways, the Roman feeling very served and happy, the Jewish man feeling very happy to have served. And he goes back and he picks up his soul and he begins to work. Now, have you ever worked while you're extremely happy? He gets it done so much more quickly. He gets to go home early. So he slips in his picket fence, but the kids see him. Ah, daddy's home. And he does what every good dad will do when he first comes home. Man, he starts playing with those kids. He's rolling in the grass, getting his, his clothes all dirty, and, and they're having the best time and laughing and giggling and hugging. And finally, he pats him on the bottom and says, now, y'all go swing because I need to go kiss your mama. And he sneaks inside, and she's over there at the kitchen sink. She's getting everything ready, and he comes up behind her and puts his arms around her waist, and he kisses her right there in the favorite spot. And, and she says, oh, you're home early today. Yeah. You did it again, didn't you? What are you talking about? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You did it again, didn't you? What? Oh, you went the second mile again, didn't you? How do you always know that? I can just tell. Where's the dog? Come on, talk to me. Where's the dog? That dog's right there jumping up going, and his tail's going, why? Because everybody, especially dogs, love second milers. They're so positive. Their energy fills the room. The room gets brighter when they enter it and darker when they leave. That's the kind of person Jesus wants you to be. They don't see it as law. They see it as love. They don't have this got-to attitude. They have a get-to attitude, and they're successful. 
At this point in this lesson, I had an illustration that I was just trying to figure out what can I put in there. And, and I remember that was my first time to preach it that night. And we lived in Arlington, Texas. And I was trying to find my keys. I was about to be late for an elders meeting. And I'm scrambling down the stairs. And my wife is sitting there reading a book to our, our two and a half year old daughter at the time. And she was pregnant, very big pregnant with our son at the time. And, and she says, honey, before you leave, would you please carry the vacuum cleaner upstairs for me? And I thought, carry the vacuum cleaner? I'm fixing to be late for an elders meeting and I bought a vacuum cleaner that a pregnant woman could carry upstairs, a real light one and all this stuff. And I, I'm thinking all this and then I was like, there's my illustration. So I grabbed that vacuum cleaner, ran up there. I set it down. I ran back down there and I looked at her and she probably thought I was about to say all these negative things. But I said, Amanda, I'd rather carry that vacuum cleaner for you than any woman on earth. And she just beamed and I went. I was two minutes late. They didn't fire me. I preached my sermon. I gave my vacuum cleaner illustration. I carried it upstairs. And on Monday, my secretary told me, Jimmy, I have counted the number of phone calls from the women of our church as well as those that came to visit you personally. And it's now at 20. And every one of them have said the same exact thing. You didn't go the second mile. You shed a vacuum while you were up there. And they're right. So, so what I'm saying is this. I know the principle. I don't always do the principle. But here's what happens when I do. You ready for this? It brings out the best in me. That's the phenomenon of the second mile principle. It will turn you into the version of your best self. And that's what Jesus knows. Now, I'm going to close with a PS. That's a postscript. <laughs> These kids don't even know what that is, right? That's if we are writing a letter and we need to add something. Oh, P.S. Or for me, P.P.S. P.P.P.S. P.P.P.S. You ever done that? Let me tell you about what else happens. Not only does it bring out the best in you, but as a general rule, it brings out the best in those around you. A woman wanted a divorce. She went to a Christian lawyer. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but there are some. And he said, would you like a free divorce? And she said, well, you know, I don't have much money, but isn't there a catch to that? And he goes, well, yeah, what I want you to do is go home and treat your husband like a king for six weeks. Then I'll give you a free divorce. I'd rather go in debt the rest of my life. I hate the man. If God had put him on the earth instead of Adam, I can guarantee you that that verse in the Bible where it says, and it was good, it wouldn't be there. He's the most low down, no good, rotten scoundrel of man had ever walked. And so the lawyer said, is it going to hurt him if you divorce him right now? No. He hates me as bad as I hate him. Would you like to hurt him? Uh, of course. Then think about it, lady. Treat him like a king for six weeks. Then drop him like a hot potato. And she got this demonic look on her face as it kind of clicked. And she's like, yeah. She shook his hand and she's gone. Six weeks later, knock on the door. Come in. It's the lady. Lawyer pulls out a big old legal pad, a lot of X's. Just sign there. You get a free divorce. She pushed it back. I don't want a divorce. Lady, you're married to the most low-down, rotten scoundrel. Of she said, you better not talk about my man like that. <laughs> I did what you said. I went home. I cleaned that house. I threw away that bathrobe with 17 moth-eating holes in it. I went to Walmart. I bought me a new bathrobe. I'd get up in the morning, brush my teeth, comb my hair, put my makeup on. I cooked his favorite meals. By the end of the third week, you're not going to believe what the man did. He came home from work and took a shower. And then he came in and he sat in the same room right next to me. Didn't talk, but at least he was sitting there. Week four, we actually struck up a conversation. And week five, you know what he did? He invited me to go out on a date with him. And we went to that same restaurant where he had proposed so many years before. It's the first time we've been out of the house in 10 years, ever since the fire that night. And then we were sitting there and he had a, a flower brought in and put there. It was the symbol of our love, that one perfect rose. And then he had a lady come in with a violin and play our song. And we fell in love with, all, with each other all over again that night. 
This week, week six, he sent me a dozen roses and he had a card in them and he said, let's go on a second honeymoon. Let's go on that cruise you used to talk about. I love my husband and my husband loves me and we don't want a divorce. Doesn't always work out that way. Some of you have tried the second mile and the third mile and the fourth mile and the fifth mile in a relationship and you can't control the outcome of how the other person reacts, but you tried, God bless you, way to go for trying, I'm sorry it didn't work out. But as a general rule, not only does the principle of the second mile bring out the best in you, it brings out the best in others. And Jesus gave you that very simple but profound and radical teaching right there in the Sermon on the Mount. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. In other words, you're going to finish it. Do whatever is expected of you. Say it louder. There you go. Lord God, thank you so much for giving us this teaching. Thank you for your wisdom on how we can be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be for your glory and how it will bring out the best in others on so many occasions. Give us the wisdom to do it, the courage to do it, the strength to do it, and to do it well. And again, for your glory. We praise you and we thank you for this teaching in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast.